0: Hi there. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is Experience 31, and it is John 11, part four, our final installment of the John 11 series, and it's called We Need Another Way of Influencing. We need another way of influencing. Have you noticed that we need another way of influencing people? Here's what I mean. Yesterday, of my family of four, three-fourths of us wanted to go paddleboarding up at Horsetooth Reservoir. I wanted to go. My wife wanted to go. Our daughter wanted to go. Our son was the 25% of our family that did not want to go. Now, beautiful day, warm day, would have been perfect for it. And before you judge my son, there's a reason why he didn't want to go. Last time we went, uh, it started off nice and it got windy and cloudy and... Our kids sit on on the back or the front of our boards, and so my son was on my board, and as <laughs> the kind of little waves came, uh, I totally fell off, and we both just bit it into the water. And I think the board also hit, <laughs> hit him on the head as it flipped. Now, my kids love, like, when we do this, they love just jumping in and swimming, but, like, when when they want to do it. My son, if it's unexpected and he just gets thrown off, he's not a fan of that. And so we did a little digging, and that's why he didn't want to go. And here's how I tried to convince him to go. I said, but buddy, I promise I won't fall off again. (laughs) Did he believe me? Of course not. Why? Because the last experience we had, I did fall off. And so for this immediate, I promise it won't happen again. That didn't work for him. (laughs) It probably, (laughs) probably shouldn't have. We need another way of influencing people. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the last part of uh, this text in John 11, and then I'll get into a little context of what's going on here. Then I want to talk about why the first two verses of this particular passage stand out to me, or why they stood out to me this time as I was studying it. Then I want to talk about ways we often try to convince people. Then I'll say a line about the best way, in my opinion, to convince people, and I'll change language there to influence, or maybe I'll change language before that. Uh, And then... I'll talk about four ways to influence people now, and then I'll ask you who you're trying to influence. So that's a bunch, uh, but we're going to get into it. Here we go. This is John 11, starting in verse 45 through the end of the chapter. John writes this. By the way, If you remember, Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. The last thing John writes is Jesus, quote, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here we go. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. We'll get into why they would do that here in a minute. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. You'll read again about Caiaphas later in the Gospels uh, around the time of Jesus' arrest. So Caiaphas speaks up. He says, you know nothing at all you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So, he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Interesting line. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where they stayed, where he stayed with his disciples." When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, who do you th- what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Interesting shift here. Jesus just performs his last miracle as we'll get to here in a second. And then it immediately goes to these religious leaders want to kill him. What's going on here? Here we go. People are believing in Jesus. He's doing these miracles. He just raised a dude from the dead. People are believing in him. So if you're a Jewish, if you're the Jewish religious leaders, this isn't good news. Uh, Why? Israel is under Roman rule. Roman is, is like oppressing Israel and the Roman rule said Caesar is Lord, this dude Caesar, which is why they're trying to get, to get the Jews to believe in. This is what they're trying to get the Jews to believe and to subscribe to, that Caesar is Lord. So if the Jews start to accept Jesus as the Messiah... as Lord, then the Jewish religious leaders who are under Roman rule are obviously not doing their job, and the Romans will shut them right down because they have the power to do that, which could lead, what would lead to unrest and and potentially another exile, which the Jewish people had been through before and certainly were not in a hurry to experience again. So, their question is, the question of the Jewish religious leaders is, what are we going to do about this? Let's do Jesus. is like gaining steam. People are following him. What are we going to do? And so, they ask they ask this in, in a meeting of the Sanhedrin, John writes, which was uh, the Jewish judicial legislative and executive body that managed the nation's internal business. That's essentially what that means. Uh, so, they want to keep the peace with the oppressive Romans. That's their goal. So, they're going to do whatever they have to do to do that. So, this high priest, Caiaphas, speaks up and he says you know, nothing at all, which is a good line. Then he says, it's better that one person die being Jesus than if the Romans kill us all and take our nation. Like let's just kill him and the rest of us will be saved. Uh, by the way, this is like the Jonah principle. If you've read the book of Jonah in the old Testament, when the passengers uh, and and the crew throw Jonah overboard, so the rest of them could be safe. So this isn't the first time we've seen this idea. So, so Caiaphas is, is suggesting that they take Jesus out, but here's the thing he's not wrong. (laughs) He's not wrong when he says it's better for one person to die than for everyone to perish. He, Caiaphas, is just thinking on a different level than John here is, the writer. Caiaphas is thinking on a political level. Like, how do we get the Romans off our back? John invites us to think about this on a spiritual salvation, life-giving level. This will lead to the real Savior, the real Lord, the real Messiah, dying to take away the sins of the world. John has a little add-on here. He says, Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but for the scattered children of God. So, their plan. Sorry, I'm drinking tea here. Their plan. Uh, Verse 53 says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now they're just going to try to kill him. So verse 57, you get to the chief priests and the Pharisees give orders that anyone who finds Jesus at the festival or wherever he is should report it so that they might arrest him. Uh, By the way, Jesus withdraws here out of the public eye, we're told. His miracles in John are finished. That's seven of them, except for one, except for the eighth one, which we've talked about in this series. And the next time Jesus appears in public it will be as a prisoner. So, no longer do the religious leaders want to arrest Jesus to try him. Now, they just want to arrest Jesus to kill him. The courts will just be for show. That's all that's going to be. They've already found him guilty and nothing will convince them otherwise. No facts will convince them otherwise. No statistics will convince them otherwise. No true and heartwarming stories will convince them otherwise. In their mind, the book is closed. And it's interesting because the raising of Lazarus, John's climactic seventh seventh sign that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the thing that was designed to bring life and hope and joy and celebration, also becomes the climactic occasion for judgment and ridicule and injustice and death. The thing that was designed to bring life and hope and joy and celebration is also the thing that to some people is the occasion for judgment and ridicule and injustice and death. (laughs) This is the way this world works sometimes, isn't it? Now, the first two verses are interesting to me. The first two verses of this passage are what really stood out to me this time around. And, And it says this, Many of the Jews who had seen what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and told them what Jesus had done. Knowing, by the way, they went to them knowing that the Pharisees wouldn't have liked it, what Jesus had done or believed in Jesus. So John essentially says in these first two verses, many believed, but some did something else. And no amount of evidence of who Jesus is would convince those who have already found him guilty and determined to reject him. Biblical arguments uh, wouldn't change their mind. PowerPoint presentations wouldn't change their mind. Online articles wouldn't cause them to come around. I and mean, have you noticed, sometimes nothing will convince the people who disagree with you? No amount of evidence. You have this fundamental disagreement. No amount of evidence will change the minds of those who have already made up their mind and closed the book on something which by the way is also true of us a lot of times many believed but some did something else have you ever tried to convince someone to believe the same thing you believe about god through argument or through like fact checking like it's like hitting your head against the wall over and over it's not going to work many believed but some did something else. Ever tried to convince someone that they should homeschool their kids because you homeschool your kids or that they should put their kids to bed the same time you put your kids to bed or they should feed their kids the same diet you feed your kids and you tried to convince them by giving them an article you read even though you know they've come to their own conclusions about these things. Didn't work, did it? (laughs) Why? Many believed, but some did something else. Have you ever tried to sway someone's view on, on who should or shouldn't cross the U.S. borders or who should or shouldn't be able to get married or whether marijuana should be legalized and, and you tried to convince them on Twitter <laughs> and it came across as if they believe the opposite of what you do, then they're obviously wrong. How many sarcastic responses did you get? How many people started like unfollow you? Many believed, but some did something else. Oftentimes, our ways of trying to convince people, or let's change language here, influence someone in one way or another. It's rapid, it's harsh, it's unhelpful, and sometimes it's with a hint of putting them down, or maybe not even a hint, maybe it's just a heap of putting them down, or of making them feel just a little bit inferior. It's like we're trying to bring them life or that's that's what we, perce- or what we perceive to be life or on the surface, it looks like in our mind, we're trying to bring them life, but there is a dash of death in it all. It's like we've already found them guilty unless they come to our side, whatever it is our side is. And no matter what we try, if it's not from a place of love and relationship, it's not going to convince them or influence them. It's not going to work. Now here, here are four examples of how we often try to convince people. And I've identified, I identify with all of these, which is probably why I thought of them. And maybe you have as well. Uh, Number one, I recently saw a social media post that was made by a longtime faithful Jesus follower who's been doing good work for over a couple decades with, with what this person does. And the intent of this post was to defend Jesus. It was to defend faith in God. It was to defend the Bible. It was to defend the church. And this post made several points, uh, all of which I thought were fine points. I don't think I disagreed with any of this person's points. But after I read this post, I had this feeling of, I know I don't like this post, (laughs) but I'm not totally sure why yet. So, I read it again still the same feeling. I waited another couple of days I, I, and I read it again. I still had the same feeling. I, I showed it to a couple of people and still had the same feeling. And at, at some point it hit me, the post in my mind was giving the impression that it's life-giving, like it's defending all these things, but there was a dash of death in it just under the surface, under the, the defending the faith message. It was actually tearing people down. It was dividing people. And my thought when I could formulate it was, okay, in my estimation, this just isn't in a way true for everybody. And actually what bothered me a bit more about it was how celebrated this post was and has been among Jesus followers <laughs> and how many re- people I saw reposting it. And, and I thought, like, this is trying to convince people of staying true to Jesus, but it's not convincing anyone of anything who doesn't already agree with this person. You know what I'm talking about? If I came at this post from a non and I was a non-Jesus follower and I read it and I I saw the undertones of fear and criticism of people who aren't us, uh, it would actually turn me off to Jesus. Have you noticed we often try to convince or influence people through criticizing them or undercutting them or telling them they're wrong? We need a new way of influencing people. Number two, the president recently tweeted that uh, while he was at some gathering with a bunch of world leaders, he, he tweeted that the question he was asked most by world leaders at this event is why the American media hates our country so much and is rooting for us to fail. Maybe you saw this post. Now, question. Who read that tweet and was convinced that that is actually the most asked question the president <laughs> received at this event? Answer. Answer. No one, (laughs) unless you already think the American media is rooting for the country to fail. Why? Because you've never been convinced of anything by a tweet, have you? You've never been been convinced of anything that was communicated in 160 characters or less by someone who who you might not even know. Why? Uh, Because tweets aren't rooted in relationship. If you loved the president before that tweet, you loved him after that tweet. And if you couldn't stand the president before that tweet, you couldn't stand him after that tweet. Have you ever noticed that we often try to convince or influence people to believe something in really impersonal ways like social media? And we all we all do it. Uh, so, so I'm not just picking on one person here. We need a new way of influencing people. Has well, let's go to number three here. Uh, Has anyone ever cheated you, cheated on you or stole from you or lied to you or cheated you out of something? And it was someone you trusted. Maybe it was the person you trusted more than anyone else. And they kept this thing from you. They didn't tell you about it and you had to find out another way. And as soon as you did find out and confronted this person, they said something like, well, I've changed. I've changed like, like, yes, I did that and I hid it from you all this time. And now that you know, I'll admit it, but I won't do it again. I promise I've changed. Do you believe them in that moment? No, of course not. It's the paddleboard issue with my son. Uh, It's going to take a little longer than a split second for them to regain your trust or for you to regain their trust. Like maybe years. Have you ever heard these words? (laughs) The deal only lasts today. (laughs) The price goes back up tomorrow. Do these words make you feel good and valued? No, they don't. They don't. Have you ever noticed that we often try to convince or influence people in a hurry? In a hurry. The pressure's on. Like this has to happen now. It's almost as if we think, if we don't bring them to our side, again, whatever our side is, right now, we've lost. There is no tomorrow. The deal only lasts today. We need another way of influencing people. Number four, final one here. In 2011, Corey and I were working at a church in Grand Rapids called Mars Hill Bible Church, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our pastor at the time, a guy named Rob Bell, released a book called Love Wins, which is a pretty polarizing book. And there were, from what I saw, two different reactions to that book. Some thought um, it was wonderful and freeing. Others thought Rob was no longer a Christian or a faithful Jesus follower because of what he writes in this book. And a well-known pastor tweeted, back to a tweet, I guess, uh, before the book even came out, I think, he tweeted, farewell, Rob Bell. See, the thought for lots of people was, in our opinion, you are no longer within the bounds of following Jesus, so we'll have nothing more to do with you. Goodbye. Have you ever cut ties with someone because they didn't believe how you wanted them to believe or because they didn't think how you wanted them to think or, or they didn't speak how you wanted them to speak? I'm not, I'm not saying we have to be friends with everyone forever or be connected in the future with the people we were connected with in the past. And if someone's not a good influence on you in one way or another and is bringing you down and you aren't in a place where you can be who you were meant to be when you're around this person, by all means, walk away, get away, run away fast as you can. There are times we need to distance ourselves from people, but have you noticed that sometimes if we realize we aren't going to convince or influence someone the way we wanted to, we think there's no more point to be in a relationship with anymore, in a relationship with them anymore. We need another way of influencing people. Criticizing, impersonal avenues, hurried promises, and tossing out the relationship, if they don't come around, aren't going to work to influence people for Jesus or for anything else. We need another way of influencing. And here we go. The best way, in my opinion, the best way to convince or influence someone is to live out what you believe so well that it can't help but attract them the best way to convince or influence someone is to live out what you believe so well that it can't help but attract them. The best way to critique something you don't believe in is to live the opposite way so well it will draw people there. The best way to win people over is to be so ruthless with your integrity, your honesty, and your love for them that they will want that for themselves. Here's how that happens. Four ways we can influence people. Number one, Influence encouragingly, encouragingly. When I was in high school, I got a job at Frank's Nursery and Crafts. Frank's was, uh, as you might be able to tell by the name of the store, a nursery. There was flowers, plants, trees, all that business, and then craft stuff. I I didn't know anything about plants or flowers or crafts, and I still don't. Um, So obviously it was a good fit. And so like, I just did the stuff that where you didn't have to know anything. <laughs> Stock shelves, I just had to know where things went. Um, keep me away from the customers and we're all, we're all good. So one of my jobs a lot of times was to dry mop. Do you know what dry mopping is? At the end of the night, whenever we were about to close or after we closed, I would take a, a one of those long mops that were dry, hence dry mop, and go up and down the aisles and get all the dust off the floor. The first time I dry mopped at Frank's Nursery and Crafts, my, my manager was there, the store manager. His name was Joe. Great guy. I get done, and he just kind of walks down a couple aisles, and he comes up to me, and he looks at me and he says, well, you get an E for effort. <laughs> now, what he didn't do was say, you stink at dry mopping. Do it better, or you're fired. He actually took me up and down every aisle and showed me how to do it. <laughs> and encouraged me. What he did was, what I did, um, the proper way with the width of these particular aisles was to go up one side and come down the other. So you would go walk down each aisle twice. I just walked up the aisle once, kind of zigzagging my way, which apparently was not the way to do it. So Joe, my manager, my boss, walks up and down each aisle with me twice, showing me how to properly dry mop. He didn't make me feel bad, guilty, criticize me. He actually took the time to encourage me and make me feel like I could actually do it. (laughs) Dry mop a store, as funny as that is. Question, who do you need to encourage this week? Who's not living up to their potential? You know it. And if they're honest, they know it. How can you encourage them? What are they doing well? What is it you see in them that you can begin to call out of them? Because I guarantee you that's going to work way better than tearing them down or criticizing them. Influence encouragingly. Number two, influence personally. A couple weeks ago, I had a guy ring my doorbell. So I answered the door. He hands me this pamphlet and he immediately begins telling me that I need better windows. I need to replace all my windows. And he goes immediately into the spiel, doesn't ask me my name, uh, whatever. Did I buy windows from him? No, I actually cut him off before he could get very far into his speech. Why? I don't know this guy. (laughs) I've never met him. There was no sort of, hey, let's even ask you your name. I'm just going to tell you what you need. That doesn't work, does it? Now, contrast that. How many of you bought windows from someone just because they knocked on your door and told you you need them? Probably nobody. Um, a couple weeks ago, my sprinkler guy, I have a sprinkler guy. We've had an, an, an insane amount of like the, the spring, underground sprinklers of uh, pipes burst this last year. And so he's been out several times. And good guy, fa- fair price, more than fair. He's actually probably, probably cheating himself. And we'd sit around, he'd let my kids like help and, and real good guy. He was around a couple weeks ago looking at my yard showed me like move some heads around because i was having some brown spots and he's like you know what you should do and he's like well maybe not should it's up to you but you know what i would do and he's tells me about these new and improved sprinkler heads and um it's like if if you get these yeah it's a it's a bit of investment up front but you're going to like by next the end of next summer you're going to more than pay for them Uh, and i think we're going to do it (laughs) why there is a personal relationship there. There is a trust there. That will go a lot farther in trying to influence people, people you have experience with, people who have treated you well before, than just showing up on the doorstep. Do you have, you have someone you care about who you think is living in an unhelpful way? Get as personal with them as you can. Talk with them, eat with them, share stories with them, spend time with them, get to know them. Not as a way to get in with them and then to go and and judge them once they trust you, or then to go and work on on how you can change them, Uh, but as a way to love them, to know them on a deeper level, and for them to know you so they can see why you live the way you do. And if you think of them as a project, you're already off the path. (laughs) Not a project. They're actually a a, a soul who God created and loves and wants the best for them. They're a person who's probably living the way they're living or believing the way they're believing because of what they've experienced in the past. Our job is to show them another way through personal relationship. Influence personally. Number three, influence slowly. Uh, This week I read a line in a book that was warning against simplistic, impatient solutions to living to the glory of God. And then I read this quote, which is from a theologian from the early 1900s named Friedrich von Hugel, I think is, is how you pronounce it. And his, he had this line, it said this, nothing was ever accomplished in a stampede. <laughs> Don't you love that? Nothing was ever accomplished in a stampede. In fact, if you've ever seen the Lion Kings the Lion King, bad things happen in a stampede. Uh, If you want to influence someone for good, do do, do you want your kid to make better decisions? Do you want your coworker to work as hard as everyone else on the team is working? Do you want your congregation, if you're a pastor, to actually attempt to live a Jesus-like life Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday mornings? Do you want your spouse or your friend or your boss to stop manipulating you? It's most likely not going to happen in a stampede. We have to be okay with continuing to live the way we feel called to live while it's taking others a bit of time to change their ways. Patience and prayer and and taking it a day at a time are key. Influencing others, it's typically a slow marathon, maybe a double marathon. It's not like a 40-yard dash. Influence slowly. Then number four. Influence, open, open-handedly. Influence open-handedly. open Influence open-handedly. You know when relationships are at their best? They're at their best when, when you don't feel like either of you need to change in order to be friends <laughs> or in order to be like close family. When you both can just be you and that's perfect. That's fine. Do you have people in your life who, who you feel like you need to be on for? Or, or there are certain things you don't talk to this person about or things you don't reveal about yourself to this person. Your guard is up a little bit. By the way, which a lot of times is healthy. We don't want to reveal everything about us to everyone. That's not wise. Uh, but then, do you have people in your life who, when you're with them... You're totally relaxed and there's no watching what you say. There's no watching what you do. There's no wondering what they think about you because you know, no matter your mood or what kind of place you're in that day, this person loves and accepts you and it won't change their perception of you at all. We need those people. Now, imagine you have people who not only can you be yourself around them, and not only can they be themselves around you, but you totally disagree on some fundamental issues of life, faith or politics or how to raise a family or how to contribute to society in a healthy way. And speaking of faith, you'd love for them to experience life to the full because right, there, right now they're just not. But you don't need them to gain the same worldview that you have in order for you to continue this wonderful, deep relationship that special. I mean, what if we treated everyone like that? We, we, in a sense, hold them loosely. We hold our need to influence them open-handedly. I mean, if if, if we think it would be better for them to change this way, and, and they do, that's great. But if at some point we realize they're not going to change as far out as we can see, but remember, God can always do amazing things. We never know what he's up to around the corner. But if we see that they're not going to change as far as we can tell, we don't end it. We still love and respect and serve and be with them simply because that's what we do. and yes, uh, we can continue to speak truth and try to show them the hope that we have and, and with how we live. That's always good uh, in a loving way, gentle way. but the relationship isn't dependent on someone changing now, if there's abuse or unhealthy treatment, then yes, it's absolutely dependent on some on someone changing. so there's our caveat. Uh, but that's not the type of changing we've mostly been, been talking about here in this experience. We keep encouraging. We keep being involved personally. We keep taking it one day at a time, slowly. We keep being open-handed. So here we go. What about you? Who are you trying to influence? Who are you trying to influence? And how have you been trying to influence them? Have you been trying to influence them critically? or impersonally or in a hurry let's just get this done or threatening to drop them even if it's just in your own mind if they don't change how you want them to change how is that working for you? (laughs) probably not well and I know this because I've tried it Uh, that will only lead to you being not only judgmental but miserable or are you trying to influence them encouragingly Personally, slowly, and open-handedly. Try that this week. See how it goes with your kid or your parent or your coworker, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your boss or your employee or your neighbor. See how it starts to go at least because it's going to take some time. The best way to convince or influence someone is to live out what you believe so well that it can't help but attract them. Focus on that and let others notice and enjoy and be drawn to it. By the way, yesterday we did not go paddleboarding. Sometimes when three-fourths of the family want to do something and one person doesn't, we'll just say, hey, tough. The rest of us want to go, so you know we're going to go have, make the best of it. Yesterday we didn't do that. We decided we could just play outside with neighbors. Uh, my daughter and I went to the pool for a bit. It was a good, good day. Uh, but at some point yesterday... We kept kind of planting the seeds for Parker to go paddleboarding today. And he woke up this morning and he said, "Let's go paddleboarding." <laughs> it didn't happen as quick as I would have liked. I would have liked to gone yesterday. And we didn't just ignore him the rest of the day because he didn't want to go paddleboarding. But at some point he was influenced to to trust us and to participate in the things that we wanted to participate in and realize that he actually wanted to do that too. This has been experience number 31. We need another way of influencing. May you influence others encouragingly, personally, slowly, and open-handedly. We'll talk to you next time. Grace and peace.